1: You can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com.
2: You know we, We'll hunt two to three foot waves pretty consistently um, on the Great Lakes without any worries. But what happens is, isn't those two to three foot waves that become the problem. It's when you're hunting out there and you're hunting on a good ducky day, it's cloudy, you've got the nice cold front pushing in and then all of a sudden a big storm blows up and your two to three foot waves turned into five to six foot waves in about 15 minutes that you weren't expecting
3: welcome to the foul front outdoors waterfowl podcast where our goal is to recruit and educate new hunters while entertaining the rest of you without new hunters and the mentorship of those more seasoned this passion as we know it faces an uncertain future so get the word out turn the volume up And enjoy the show, because you're on the Foul Front. Today on the podcast, we've got Tony Homer. And Tony Homer is, uh, he is the, what do you call yourself, the president or the CEO or founder of Waterfowl Works, LLC. Yep. And Waterfowl Works, LLC, uh, you guys primarily make uh, layout boats um, up in Ohio, correct? Correct. Correct. So, you want to give us a a little bit of uh, how you got into hunting and then how you ended up getting into making boats? Well,
2: I've been shooting waterfowl since 1979. Uh, locally here in Ohio, which well, mainly is rivers and streams and fields. And as as we got older, we started tinkering with the layout boats and we were building them out of wood uh, in our garage and Every time I would build one, somebody would see it. They'd want one. So,
3: so you are an intrepid soul taking something that you built out onto big water, uh, <laughs> right in the beginning, huh? Oh yeah.
2: Well, when you build something out of wood, you know wood's going to be—it's going to float anyway. So, <laughs>
3: <laughs> so the fail safe is there at least, right? I get—I fully promise you that I, if I built something out of wood, <laughs> that it might not float. So. Right. Well, wood floats, so you should be okay. You <laughs> might be wet, but you should still be able to float. Got it. So you said nineteen seventy nine. Correct. So, you know, who first took you out hunting?
2: That would have been my father. We were hunting on the rivers here locally where we live and that's where it all started.
3: Awesome. Now my father
2: wasn't serious. He worked five, six days a week, so we'd only get out one day a weekend maybe if we were lucky, but We would head to the river or the the small inland lakes in this area and see if we could shoot a duck or two.
3: When did it first pop into your head that you needed to go lay out in a large body of water in a layout uh, boat? Well, that was probably once I got about 18 years old and
2: started doing a lot more hunting on my own.
3: Okay. And so that was, you know, you started in 1979. When did you make your first boat? Would have
2: been about about two thousand is when we
3: handcrafted our first wooden layout boat. And now, when one goes about handcrafting their their first wooden layout boat, were there schematics or research or how did you how'd you go about that? Well, we had used some
2: bought boats from from John K. Lash or some old wooden pumpkin steeds that were built from plans from Paul mm-hmm. Busick or guys like that. So, I mean the. The general shapes and ideas were there. You just had to mimic them and create your own from it.
3: Okay. And so how many years after, you know, that first boat, um, you know, did you start making them for other people?
2: In 2003, just about to the day we went into retail sales of the UFO layout boat. And I guess that actually almost to the day it was Right around September 15, 2003, our first open day for sales for the UFO Layout Boat in Point Moulier, Michigan, which is a show we will go to next weekend.
3: Awesome. Awesome. And so uh, kind of give the listeners, you know, from there, uh, you know, how many boats do you guys make a year and, you know, you know what, what kind of operation do you have running right now? Well, our
2: operation consists of two people, myself and my wife. We hand-build every boat we sell. We do this full time. Um, so we're, we're building boats pretty much year round. And if we're not building boats, we're taking that, the little bit of time off that we get to enjoy things like camping and things
3: like that together as a family. So, and and probably shooting a couple ducks, right?
2: That's one thing that lacks pretty bad right now because (laughs) I tend to always be building boats during duck season.
3: That is a bummer. (laughs) that's becoming a problem
2: now we we sneak away a couple weeks a year and and get the boats out and go hunt with friends and things like that but yeah most of the time this time of year during duck season we're busy building boats you know you asked how many we build we average uh on an average year about 150 is it about
3: 150 Mm -hmm. yep okay
2: yeah and and we uh, You know, the UFO is our staple boat. That was the original design. I created that design from scratch. Um, and that was the turning point for, for layout boats, actually, because the UFO was, was a boat that no one had, had thought of, had seen or used, you know, because back in, back in the early days of layout hunting, layout boats were small, compact, and very, very low profile. They were not big guy friendly.
3: Right. Um, and just for, so just to get it out on the table so everybody knows, I know absolutely nothing about hunting ducks, diver ducks, sea ducks, anything like that on big water in layout boats. So this is a, an extremely selfish, uh, podcast episode for me. And, um, so the UF, I've looked at some of the pictures that you sent me of your different designs and... So that that's something that came out of just your your brain there and or you know how did Pretty, you how did you uh, identify the need for that
2: well the needs the need was easy people seem to have started to get bigger <laughs> we all eat more we, we tend to get lazy so you know the average person is no longer 150, 160 pounds anymore and that's about all the the original boats like the K-Lash or the Busek could handle uh, comfortably, you know, we squeezed our butts down in them little boats, but you we weren't in them very long, your feet were laid out right and left, and your le- your legs were cr- bent, your knees were bent, and so it wasn't very comfortable, so the UFO was designed to take care of that problem in the industry,
3: and how many how many years uh, into you know designing and building boats did you come up with the UFO?
2: Uh, that was the very beginning. That when we were building the wooden boats, we were making them bigger. You know, we would make the boxes on the bottom deeper and things like that to accommodate the larger guys. But there's an extremely important factor that has to be considered when you're designing these kind of boats: is you're you're really touching the legal lines of what's known as a sink box
3: well you know right
2: box by definition is if you can hide your person below the surface of the water you are illegal you are hunting out of a sink box so so when we design these layout boats you have to really take that into consideration because if you make that box too deep where you're laying and you could actually lay down flat in
3: that and be below the surface of the water.
2: You could you could be ticketed for it because it could be essentially considered a sneak box.
3: Interesting. That's, you know, I didn't think that was going to come up in this conversation. And <laughs> that's, uh, that's, you know, that's interesting. And then, so, you're talking, you come along and you start building boats. And there's obviously been people that were uh, building layout boats for, you know, many years before that. Um, what was, what was that like? Uh, you know, kind of being on, uh, you know, turning history. Well, you know, the originators of layout
2: hunting arguably is the great lakes, Lake Erie. You know, we had a very, very known builder here in Ohio, Paul Busick. He built boats for years. Um, there was another gentleman in Michigan named uh, John Kalash, he'd been building wooden layout boats for as long as, you know, back into the 50s. There's just another few old timers who built boats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but none really, really pushed the market and took it to a retail level. You know, most of these guys were building them out of their garages through word of mouth and Things like that, the local shows here on the Great Lakes, and that's just how they how they done their business and they built their boats, you know. Um, those guys were fortunate. They didn't have to adhere to all the U.S. Coast Guard regulations that are in force now that um, us builders today have to, to ensure the safety of the guys who are using them. Of course. You know? And with that becomes... There was Mighty Layout Boys. Most people have heard of the Mighty Layout Boys. The Mighty Layout Boys was uh, had been building boats for about 8 or 10 years before we came onto the scene. And then uh, we competed against each other for the next 6 or 8 years. And then uh, we actually bought the Mighty Layout Boys. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, with Layout Boats, it's... it's slightly different than hunting in a cornfield because, you know, you're laying in open water and we've got to worry about your safety, number one. You know, we've got to make sure that if you're laying out there in sub, sub-zero temperatures in basically what a lot of people will call a coffin box right. uh, on Lake Erie in two or three foot waves, it's imperative that, that you know you're safe. You know you know the boat's going to handle the conditions. Um, the boat's designed for the proper weight that's in the boat like that so
3: right that's a lot of um i mean that's a pretty big responsibility uh, on on your end i would suppose that there's you know when it comes to redesigning stuff or um every time you you know make a boat i that's probably in your mind
2: it has to be because as i said before they all have to meet u.s coast guard regulations you know um and unfortunately, the U.S. Coast Guard regulations are not designed around layout boats. They're designed about big boats. So when you have to incorporate those regulations into these short, narrow, small crafts that are floating on top of the water, it makes it extremely tough to get the right capacities. Sure. So that and so that you know that you can know that your clients and customers that are using them are safe. You know the UFO. Um, has a maximum capacity of 450 pounds so there's not too many people that can't safely hunt out of that boat right now you flip that around and you go back to one of the other designs that we own now the paul Busick design which which we call the, the ml or the excuse me the Erie layout boat that boat's only designed only legally rated for 252 pounds So there's a huge variance in the weight ratings and the legal capacity ratings on these boats, and that's why we offer so many different ones. Now, if you're a 150-pound guy soaking wet, you can hunt any of the boats we build safely. But if you're one of them guys that likes to eat and they're pushing 300 pounds or a big, giant, muscular fellow like that, then you need some room to get down in there and be comfortable as well, and that's what the UFO's for, so... So we built many different models for many different reasons. Each one has its own particular size
3: rating, so to speak. This week's episode is brought to you by the following partners. Hunt Hickory Creek. And new to Hunt Hickory Creek this year is their Central Kansas Lodge. Now, they run hunters from the end of October all the way through January, and they're situated right between Kavira and Cheyenne Bottoms, which, combined, can hold hundreds of thousands of birds at a time. Now, these guys work their tails off to not only put you on birds, but to show you a great time. So don't take your chance on something shady or unknown. Come check out Chase and a few of his guides, Cody and Scotty, in our Facebook group. Pick their brains. And if you're going to hunt Kansas, Hunt Hickory Creek. We're also brought to you by Dive Bomb Industries, the fastest-growing, most affordable decoys on the market. With unmatched customer service, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, or divebombindustries.com. You can also find Asher in our listeners group, and you can use the code FOULFRONT to get your 10% off and get yourself into a large, effective, and affordable and easy-to-set-up spread. It takes about a minute to set out a dozen. They take up no space in the garage or truck. So go get yourself twice the decoys with half the price And none of the hassle at Dive Bomb Industries. Now, with dove season approaching us, and teal season, remember that they too are migratory game birds. Federal laws apply in all 50 states, and that includes gifting and tagging laws. Make sure to keep your birds separated and or tagged when transporting or storing them with other hunters' birds. This includes from field to home as well. Gifting in the field, although commonly done, is never legal under 50 CFR 2040, and it must be done at the donor or donee's personal abode. For other helpful hints and tips, check them out on Facebook or under Tags LLC on their website at towtagsllc.com. Have fun, be safe, and keep it legal. We're also brought to you by Athlon Optics, which produces some of the finest shooting scopes and binoculars on the market. Their ED glass is top-notch and rivals the glass of binos three or four times their price. You'll be able to pick a goose out in a depression from half a mile away with these things. They're tough, sturdy, and then this is where Athlon Optics goes above and beyond with a lifetime warranty. This thing is, which is pretty critical for a waterfowl hunter. So head on over to Athlon Optics and get a top of the line binocular system for the season at a fraction of the price and a no worries guarantee freelancehuntstats.com. I have to tell you, I'm really excited to start uh, using the freelance hunt stat system this year. So if you've never logged your hunts in the past, or I think it's something that you should really start doing this season on freelancehuntstats.com. Not only can you look back and remember past hunts, but you can also use it to help you learn and improve with your future hunting successes. So don't forget to set up your account and start logging uh, this season. We're also brought to you by Duck Nuts. That's D-U-K-N-U-T-Z. Now, I've been fighting decoy rigging systems since I started. Wrapping, coiling, even Texas rigs. Talk about a pain in the butt. Now, I work hard, but at the end of the morning, it's time to go home. And Duck Nuts allows you to rig your decoys uh, so that all you got to do is throw them in the bag. With their friction system, it's too easy to just pull the line and pack up. Or throw them out. It also allows you to adjust for depth. So if you're tired of fighting decoy rigs, head on over to DuckNuts.com and use your 10% off foul front discount code. Also brought to you by Gypsum Creek Retrievers, which is a full-service gun dog training facility in the heart of the Midwest. And they look to build eager, confident, and reliable field companions through a unique approach that you won't find at many other places. So go check out Gypsum Creek Retrievers on Facebook or Instagram, or you can hit up Evan, the owner, in our Facebook group. We're also brought to you by Duck Tech. Increase your odds of success in the blind this year with the Duck Tech mobile app. Three-time world champion duck caller Barney Califf teaches you how to make the most important sounds, what they mean to a duck, and when to use them. Duck Tech is available to download in the App Store and Google Play. So with the season approaching, get the app today so you can put more ducks on the strap tomorrow. And uh, we're also brought to you by SRB Field Rests. No matter what... Where or how you hunt, SRB field rest will keep your shotgun, rifle, bow, or crossbow clean, safe, and ready in the field or on the range. Waterfowl hunters in the dry or muddy fields. Turkey or predator hunters in the pop-up blinds. Hey, if you're hunting deer, elk, or bear, or any other big game, uh, hunting in box blinds, they've got you covered. They even have rests for bow fishermen. So, Head on over to srbfieldrests.com and use your foul front discount code to get 10% off. Sure. Now, what's the process look from, you know, in your, in your head, you, you have a vision of, okay, what uh, this design or this boat's going to look like, drawing up plans to, you know, getting that thing U.S. Coast Guard certified and selling it to somebody. What, what's all the in-between stuff? What's the process look like? <laughs>
2: Well, it's extremely complicated and I won't get too deep into it just because I don't want to give out too many secrets. But, oh, yes, yes. But you know, you have to, you have to look at buoyancy. Um, you have to look at the materials you're making the products out of. Um, and then you have to look at the shapes. You know, you want to make sure that you're designing a shape that's going to float properly and it's going to be resistant to sinking, so to speak. Now, if you take a square and put it on the water, a square two by four on a piece of plywood and you set it out on the water and you take a rectangle piece of plywood and you take a circle piece of plywood, each one of them is going to have a different resistance as you're adding weight to it and pushing it under the water. Right. So shape is everything. You know, that's why 90 percent of the layout boats that you see on the market now are shaped like they are because that's generally the proper shape to get the most capacity out of it.
3: Now, how much of this learning came from books, and how much of it came from you messing around with plywood in the bathtub? This pretty much
2: all came from drawing it out on paper and playing with it. Done a little bit of research. Um, I've got a, a really, really good friend who works for a major boat manufacturing company. Um, and I also have another good friend who's helped us along the way with, with learning to build the boats and working with the fiberglass and things. So,
3: gotcha. Gotcha. So, in your shop right now, how many, how many boats do you have? Um, I'm catching you at the end of a work day, I'm assuming. Um, (laughs) how many boats do you have in there that, uh, you're working on?
2: I believe I counted 32 yesterday. Whew.
3: And I, I imagine with that volume, uh, you kind of do things in sections, or um, kind of a, almost assembly line-ish, with yourself. Well, not really. We
2: the nice thing is, is we have a twenty-six thousand square foot facility. Um, we have three different parts of that building, and we break it down into groups. One, you know, we have our our, our building group, which is where we do all the fiberglass work, and then we have our finishing room and then we have our warehouse okay. so essentially basically what happens is is you know we'll start in the in the build room and we'll wax the molds we'll spray up the molds, and then we'll lay the fiberglass uh, and then they'll move from there into the next room and then from there to the next room but the key is molds you know we have um, four sets of molds for the ufo which is our number one seller most popular boat and we've got one or two sets of all the other boats that we have, so so we can essentially, in an eight-hour day, lay up six or seven boats pretty easy.
3: Okay. Got you. And now I know that you're probably the person to ask about this, but what what you know what do the uh, layout boats? When was the first one, or when did they start using these things? Oh, uh, it's. It, It would be extremely hard to track that down because guys, like I said, the the gentlemen
2: up north here in the Michigan and on Lake Erie who were building them, there's not a whole lot of documentation that goes back real far. These guys were, they were doing these things in their garages and things like that. And many of them were doing it for their own, for their own needs and their own reasons back, you know, in the market days where they would go out and they'd shoot a hundred ducks in a day. Um, so, so it's hard to really say okay. how far back they go. I, I believe John Kalash was building boats in the fifties.
3: Okay. So, from bow to stern, how how big is the UFO? The UFO is ten foot two inches long. Ten foot two inches long. All right. Now this stems. Uh, I have a huge. I have a lo- logistical question on how. Um, Diver hunters and layout boat hunters hunt. Uh, I was hoping that maybe you could walk me through the process of, you know, in the morning, we're gonna throw these things. I don't even know how you you stack the boat inside of another <laughs> boat. What what's okay. going on? We got it.
2: Well, generally speaking, the the layout boat's gonna go inside the tender boat. Okay. okay. your tender boat is gonna be the chase boat as well. So you're going to launch your your tender boat from the ramp with your layout boat inside it. You're going to drive out to the location where you're going to where you're going to hunt from. You're going to pitch the the layout boat overboard, anchor it down. Then you're going to throw your decoys around it or set them however it is that you choose to set them. Then you're going to put a guy in it. You know the tender boat's going to have. The driver who's going to pull up alongside the layout boat, somebody's going to reach over and grab the layout boat, hold it. Somebody's going to climb into the layout boat and the tender boat's going to pull away. Uh, generally speaking, you're going to go a couple hundred yards down wind behind the layout boat and get out of the way and just sit there and watch. You know, you'll, most guys will run radios. They'll have a portable radio in the layout boat and a radio in the tender boat. Um, When the guy shoots some birds, they'll radio to the tender that they've got some down. The tender will come in, pick them up, and then right back into
3: getting out of the way and letting the guy shoot some more. So, sounds like it's a pretty good deal if you're the guy in the layout boat. Well, he gets his turn, and
2: then then you'll switch out, and somebody else will get their turn, depending on the groups and how they like to do it. You know, we like to... We generally like to do it in in what we call volleys. You know, you get three volleys, so to speak. So you get a group of ducks that come in three times to shoot out, shoot out, and then we're switching. Um, if it's a super slow day and we're wasting too much time, you may only get one volley before we'll switch out. So, okay. But everybody takes their turns and swaps in and out of the boat. It's it's not like um, field hunting for mallards or blind hunting for mallards or things like, its it's not one of those you have to be there at daylight layout hunting it can be better off later in the day than it is in the morning you know and it's more dangerous setting up a layout boat in the dark you don't want to throw a layout boat out on the open water in the dark and leave it unattended without lights or something like that because it could get ran over and actually we had a customer who lost one last year to that exact reason thank god there was no
3: one in the boat Oh man, that that leads me to my other thing. So since it's not a boat that's under power, um, it you don't need to have like any lights or anything like that when it's sitting out there. But I suppose it's probably if you're out there in the dark, it's probably a good idea to have your headlamp on or something.
2: If you're if you're gonna set up in the dark, the boat needs to have a light on it,
3: and there should not be
2: anybody in it. Okay, because you know if you've got a boat out there. Somebody going fishing somewhere and they go flying across the lake. They're never going to see it till it's too late. They're going to run over it before they even know it's there.
3: Right. They're hard
2: enough to see in the daylight.
3: Yeah. I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the, the intent of it. <laughs> so um, never
2: leave your layout boats unattended in the dark, guys. Make sure you put lights on them, bright lights. Don't put anybody in it if you're setting it up in the dark. Um, personally, I would advise you not to even set them up in the dark. It's not necessary. Wait till daylight.
3: In the last 15 years, how many, you know, boats have you, you know, had to replace because of a similar incident? That, that
2: is the first boat that I am 100% certain of that got ran over. Got it. Oh, man. But it only takes one. Yeah. It's not he's in it you know yeah and we exactly. have to think about that we have safety is number one when it comes to this kind of hunting because it every step of it has so many dangers um that we're walking right into you know we're our life is on the line in so many different ways layout hunting that we have to take extreme cautions
3: yeah i'm a i'm a bit i'm a land lover um not a <laughs> sailor or a, um, you know, a, a, a waterman or anything like that. I can swim pretty good. But um, it. I won't even take, you know, my 14-foot John boat. Um, I won't take it in a place that I can't stand. <laughs> um, and so this whole, everything that you're explaining to me, is it's my eyes are just wide open right now. You know, talking about two, three-foot waves in this little 10-foot boat. Um, yep. And... Whereas safety is always, you know, always present, um, when I'm hunting, but I don't know if it's like, it's, uh, we plan for it and we plan to be safe and we do things uh, that are almost second nature that are safe. Um, but it sounds like safety is like the number one thing when it comes to layout hunting. It has to be. Safety is number one.
2: Um, there's just too many things that can go wrong, you know? For example, if you're out there and on Lake Erie or Saginaw Bay or on any big body of water, and it gets rough, you know, if you're out there hunting in two foot waves, maybe even three foot waves, because the windier it gets, the better the hunting can be. Right. And you're transferring from that little boat into a tender boat two times for each person. You're crossing the line from one boat to the other to get into each boat so one bad move right there and you could end up in the water in sub-zero temperatures
3: yeah and not water that you can stand in more than likely um (laughs) no
2: most of the time when we're layout hunting we're the water's over our head so you know you're out in open water that's not water that you're going to stand up in if you go in you know and then as we all know it's not a it's not a big secret that if you go into the water, you're going to weigh a hell of a lot more and it's going to be a lot harder for someone to get you out of
3: it. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So we don't want to go
2: in that water if we don't have to, just because that just creates hypothermia issues, shock issues, all kinds of other things that add to the, add fuel to that fire. So we have to be extremely cautious and we have to be very, very careful, uh, we sell a lot of boats to new guys who've never done it before, and I can't stress enough how important and how uh, motivated we are on giving them that speech that you've got to practice when it's warm, you've got to know what you're doing, you've got to get used to it, and know your boat, know the layout boat, and more importantly, know the guys you're using them with. You know, Yeah. If you've got to has never drove a boat before and you're going to make him be tender boat captain you could have all kinds of problems i mean he could run over the layout boat so you get out there in rough water maneuvering a boat around isn't that easy to begin with and now you've got to pull it up beside a layout boat with somebody laying in it so all kinds of safety factors
3: all right and this week in waterfowl conservation news uh, earlier this month, the Migratory Bird Conservation Commission approved a $23.8 million in grants for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and its partners to conserve or restore uh, almost 135,000 acres of wetland and associated upland habitats for waterfowl, shorebirds, and other birds in 17 states throughout the United States. The grants made through the North American Wetlands Conservation Act, the NAWCA, will be matched by over $60 million dollars in partner funds. The NAWCA grants ensure that waterfowl and other birds are protected throughout their life cycles. The NAWCA is the only federal grant program dedicated solely to the conservation of wetland habitats for migratory birds. And since 1989, funding has advanced the conservation of wetland habitats and their wildlife in all 50 U.S. states, Canada, and Mexico, while engaging more than 6,000 partners in over 2,800 projects. Uh, For a partial list of the latest grant beneficiaries, there's the Maine Wetlands Conservation Initiative, uh, which is about a million dollars to conserve about 27,000 acres of wetlands for waterfowl, songbirds, and other species in coastal Maine. Uh, The Klamath Basin Wetlands um, has about a million dollars to restore and enhance 12,000 acres of wetlands on working cattle ranch and elsewhere in the Klamath Basin uh, in Oregon and California, including wet meadows on a cattle ranch, uh, work will benefit northern pintail, sandhill crane, and many other species. Now, the Texas beaches to bays uh, is another million dollars to permanently protect uh, 5,300 acres of coastal prairie, coastal marsh, and other wetlands and uplands in the Texas mid-coast. The project will benefit the model duck, the mallard, the redhead, and uh, many other species. Uh, I want to go ahead and give a big shout-out to Brian Corey, for putting together this week's waterfowl conservation news. I generally, I try to teach coach and, you know, uh, mentor the listeners on here. If there's anybody new, I like to think, hey, if you listen to this podcast enough and if you reach out to a couple, you know, people and mentors, you can probably go cut your teeth by yourself, Uh, duck hunting. I don't think that that's the case at all with, (laughs) with what you guys are talking about right now.
2: Well, and and again, and anybody can do it. Anybody can learn it, but learn it in the summertime when it's warm, or if you're in the south where you've got warm weather. You know, it's it's not a major deal. But up here in the north where we're at, we're breaking ice a lot of times to go hunting. So you know, we deal with extreme cold temperatures, and that just brings on more extreme dangers. So, so we like to make sure that everyone is extremely cautious. Um, and extremely aware of the potential dangers when you get into layout boat hunting.
3: Right. But with
2: that said, it's some of the best hunting you'll ever do
3: because <laughs> they're they're <laughs> flying right up in your face, right?
2: Right. I mean, you're out in the open water, and diver ducks don't fly high; they fly low to the water, generally speaking. And you know, they'll they it's not uncommon to see them within range of you reaching up and just grabbing them.
3: Wow. All right, back to the transportation piece a little bit on getting this yep. thing out there. Um, okay. You know, you're talking about a 10-foot boat, and how wide is it? 62 inches. Oh, wow. Okay, so we're not talking about a small... What, what did you say the, the bigger boat was called? The tender boat. The tender boat.
2: So No, you're going to need... The tender boat's going to be a pretty good-sized boat. Yeah minimum I would recommend would be an 18 foot tender boat
3: for a, for be, a UFO.
2: If, yeah. Okay. Be it a 18 foot mod V John boat or an 18 foot deep feed. Deep V is going to be much better. If you're running in big open water, if you're hunting backwaters or sloughs or places that don't get rough, super rough. You can get away with a mod V.
3: Sure. Okay. So we say you're saying 18 foot and then you got yep. 10 feet, Uh 10 foot of that is a boat in the middle of your boat. I'm, well, it's
2: gonna go across the boat. It's okay. Not going to run it perpendicular. You're gonna run it across the gunwales. You're gonna set it across the bow of the boat on the gunnels. So it's gonna take up about five feet of the front of the boat.
3: Got it. Okay. And then you just strap that down with.
2: Throw so some ratchet straps across it across the bow cleats to hold it and hold it while you're under power going to and from the location. And then once you're there, you'd unstrap it. Hook the anchor rope to the back of it, slide it overboard.
3: That makes uh, a lot more sense (laughs) than what I was thinking. That
2: procedure. Now, generally speaking, the decoys are going to be under the layout boat.
3: Yeah, because it's dead space, anyways.
2: Five feet up in the front, all your decoys are going to be stored up underneath it. So when you slide the boat off, now you've got access to your decoys. Makes sense. And then reverse that when you're picking up, pick up the decoys first, then pull the boat back on top of the boat, the tender boat over top of the decoys.
3: Okay. Okay. Now, once you have all that set up, it's all Mm -hmm. laying out there. Talk to me about how do I safely navigate through the decoys to the layout boat and then get my, my buddy into the boat? Well, you're going to leave a
2: path for the for the tender boat to come through. Generally speaking, we always want to approach the layout boat into the wind. The layout boat's always going to be facing with the wind to your back. So the birds are going to be coming into the wind. So we're going to leave us a 10-12 foot path along the side of that layout boat clear through the decoys so we can pull up into there, into the wind. Now, when you're pulling up into the wind, the wind's going to pretty much work as a break for you so you can come up in there nice and smooth and slow and even and you can pretty much stop that boat with your forward control and the wind countering it coming the other way long enough to make the transfer in and out of the boat
3: okay sure so i've got i'm laying in the layout boat Mm -hmm. i've got uh the wind to my back yes it's coming in from your back okay just like regular hunting and then The boat would then be approaching me from my rear side. No,
2: it would be coming at you from the front.
3: Yes. Okay. Yep. Got it. So the boat's going to be coming from the front. The wind is going to break. Got it. Okay. Yep. yep. So the boat the boat's pulling up to uh, my left side from the front. You know, I'm getting yep. my I'm unloading my gun and collecting yep. myself and getting the birds. Yep. Now we're going
2: to be on your knees in the boat, ready for the transfer. Okay. When the boat pulls up alongside you, one of the other hunters in the boat is going to reach over the tender boat. He's going to grab the edge of the cockpit of the layout boat. And at that point, you're going to stand up, grab the side of the tender boat and step into the step out of the layout boat into the tender boat
3: from like the starboard or the port side. Yep. Okay.
2: Yep. And then if it's a calm day and the boats aren't, too drastically giving you any fits there you can go ahead and make the switch with the next hunter if it's not and it's really rough and you're having some trouble once the guy's out of the layout boat the tender driver continues through while everybody regroups regathers and then he'll come back around and make another pass to put the next guy into the boat
3: got it so From the time that, okay, I see the boat. It's coming up. It's about 30 yards away from me. I'm on my knees. I got all my my guns unloaded. I've got the birds on my strap. Probably toss the birds up into the boat.
2: Yep, Toss the birds up into the boat. Hand your gun to the guy who's grabbing the boat at the same time. And then you're going to step up, grab the side of the boat, and then step over into the boat. All this should happen in, gosh, 30 seconds tops. I mean, it's going to be pretty quick.
3: Right, right. And the driver of the tender boat, he is doing the front back game, trying to keep from yeah. pushing the boat too far over to the left or the right. Correct. Okay.
2: Ideally, he's going to come in. He's going to, the boat's only going to stop long enough for you to make the switch. And then the boat's going to keep going. Got it. So, I mean, it's not like he's going to throw an anchor or anything like that. He's going to pull up, make the switch, and pull out almost immediately.
3: Okay. Now, now we've got okay, so we come back through, and so I guess when I'm laying in the layout boat, there's a path to my front and to my rear on my either my left or right side, big enough for the boat. Correct. Okay. So now we, my buddy is in the layout boat. I'm the I'm the captain of the tender boat now. Um, I make that second pass, and we drop my the buddy. He's dropped off now. Yep. Um, and I go set up. Uh, behind him. Yep. Um you know 2 300 yards you said? Correct. Okay, and we've got our radios. Um yep. what am I doing in the tender boat?
2: You're watching and laughing.
3: <laughs> Cooking breakfast I'm, I maybe?
2: Right. Okay. You
3: know, yeah. Uh is there any flagging it's or anything like that?
2: Fun. It's probably more fun sitting in the tender boat watching the guys miss. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Oh, I don't know if I could, I don't know if I like this kind of hunting anymore. All my buddies behind me watching. <laughs> I got enough. I got it bad enough in an A-frame where no one can tell who's hitting what bird.
2: Right. But no, that's basically what the tender boat's going to do. It's just going to sit back there, out of the way, um, keep an eye on the layout boat, make sure that nothing going or going awry or going out of sight that shouldn't be make sure the decoys are all staying there and picking up birds
3: okay oh yeah so that's a okay so you know bang 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 got two birds down yep what now
2: now you if the tender boat isn't paying attention you're going to radio and say hey i got birds down and then you're going to tell them left side right side middle and then they're going to come around and they're going to scoop them up and they're going to disappear again
3: and if it's you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking kind of like, uh, you know, you got the long lines I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Um, so how do you, you know, you got birds in the long lines. Do you, do you wait for them to move out of the long lines or yeah.
2: if they're dead, it's no real rush. Um, you know, if you're, if you've knocked down two blue bills and they're dead in the decoys, uh, there's no sense, I mean, coming after them immediately, I mean, you don't want to wait two hours, but I mean, if it's five minutes or so and the birds are working real good and you've got two down, you know exactly what you've got there. There's nothing wrong with letting another flock come in if they're moving real well and dumping another one real quick and then saying, Hey, okay, I got three down and they're out of the spread. Come get them.
0: There's no
2: sense having the tender boat trying to fight through the decoys to pick up a bird that's in there. That's going to float out in a few seconds anyway.
3: Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So what are some of the, you know, what are the most dangerous points during all this, or maybe not dangerous points yet? Well, maybe we'll get into that. Um, But what are some of the points that can make more efficient um, with this, you know, this whole process that we just talked about? Uh,
2: Again, the biggest, the most, the most important parts that's going to make you better and keep you safe is practicing in the off season. You know, Grab your layout boat, take it out to the lake, throw it in the water, sink it, do whatever you want to do. Get yourself comfortable. Know you know exactly what your equipment's going to do. You know, all of our boats, you can fill them with water and you can crawl inside it and it's still not going to sink.
3: Well, that's comforting.
2: But for me to tell you that, and then let's go out on Lake Erie when it's 20 degrees outside and it's snowing like crazy, and, and then... Let's say you catch a rogue wave that's, for some unknownly reason, swamps the boat. It's not fun then because you're scared to death because maybe you haven't tried this in the summertime and you don't really realize that it's true. So, you know, you get freaked out and do things that you normally wouldn't do because you're freaked out at the moment to where if you already know ahead of time, hey, this thing's fine. If I get swamped, I don't have nothing to worry about when that does actually happen or could happen, then you at least know ahead of time that, Hey, well, I'm cool. I don't have to freak out here. Everything's good. I got plenty of time. There, there's nothing to get worried about. So, um, so yeah, I mean, if you're new to the sport, you've never done it summertime, grab your layout boat, take it out onto the lake, play with it, practice with it, whatever you need to do to get comfortable. So, you know, that you can be comfortable and, in case of an emergency when you have to count on it.
3: Right. Doing some some drills, like pulling yeah. up to the boat, switching out people, have your buddies, exactly. um, sinking the boat, you know, that's, right. that sounds fun. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, you know We do it. You know, we, we, when
2: all our boats are tested, they sink them when they test them. You know, that's just part of the process.
3: Sure. Sure. Now, when it comes to... Um, you know, safety or the things that you can do out there to really put yourself um, in a bad spot. What are some of the most common things? Uh,
2: the The most
3: common thing is guys who
2: don't pay attention to the weather. You know, if you're if you're at, in the middle of Lake Erie and you're not and you haven't done your homework and watched the weather in a matter of minutes you can be caught in a really really nasty mess that you don't want to be in in a layout boat.
3: Sure. What's so you got What's the your, weather? What's your uh what's your advice on, you know, the weather? Um like what's uh nope and what's uh okay, you need to start watching out.
2: Well, and basically everyone's going to have their own limits to how rough of water they're they're willing to hunt in. You know, we we'll hunt 2 to 3 foot waves pretty consistently um on the great lakes without any worries but what happens is isn't those two to three foot waves that become the problem it's when you're hunting out there and you're hunting on a good ducky day it's cloudy you've got the the nice cold front pushing in and then all of a sudden a big storm blows up and your two to three foot waves turned into five to six foot waves in about 15 minutes that you weren't expecting
3: and you're just sitting in a layout boat like riding these big waves Right.
2: Well, when it gets to that point, when it gets to five to six footers, you need to be getting out of there because you're going to have enough problems on your hand doing your tender operations and getting into the boat and getting the guys out of the boat. So, you know, that's the most dangerous part of this whole process is the switching um, from one one boat to the next. And as it gets rougher, uh, it just gets harder.
3: Now, I'm imagining when you're talking two to three foot waves, you know, I'm sitting in this, uh, in the UFO, and yep. I'm, like, going up and down, like, the entire time. You're ba- you're
2: bouncing a little bit. You know, two- to three-foot waves, they're not big, long waves, so it's not like you're out on the ocean where you're going to have 18 foot in between the waves. You know, these are real short, choppy waves, so you're more or less just bouncing right on top of them pretty quickly. You know, you'll get two- to three waves under the boat at the same time on the Great Lakes as long as you're inland into the bays and things. Now you get out on the ocean, um, you know, guys, they'll hunt six, eight foot waves out there, but they'll get a 20 foot span in between them. And then the boats rolling up and down over the waves. Like you're talking about.
3: No. Oh. <laughs> that sounds terrifying and fun. Like <laughs> not, We were not, on, we were lie. out
2: on Bay, uh, two or three years ago and, We were in a two man boat and we were, we were hunting, hunting swells that were big enough that the layout boat would disappear in between them.
3: (laughs) 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 Okay. I think I'll stay in Kansas. Uh, Right. No, no, I, I, the more we talk, I really do. This has given me the itch to go try all this out.
2: It's a phenomenal hunt. If you've never done one, you need to try it. Um, because it's it's just a exclusive way of hunting ducks um, and it's probably the most dangerous way you'll ever hunt ducks and when you put those two things together that's what makes us tick you know we all like a challenge where everybody likes to to play along play on that line um, that's just what makes us work challenge
3: yeah um <laughs> Well, you know, what are, uh, you know, what are some of the principal differences? We already hit a little bit on it when you were talking about, um, you know, the birds flying real close to the water. Um, you know, what are some of the principal differences between, you know, what's the draw, the big draw besides, you know, the the daredevil factor? (laughs) Well, it, it's, it's
2: real simple. Everybody hunts from shore, you know, and diver ducks while they'll go into shore, they're not going to feed on the shore. They're going to feed out in the open water. Um, And when they're out flying around and they constantly fly up to the shore and they get shot at, that just pushes them out in the open water.
3: Well, that makes sense. (laughs) Um, How do you you go around scouting for, you know, big water birds? Uh, You look for the feeding
2: and resting areas. So The, the big giant rafts of birds are.
3: So you're just Just looking for birds.
2: Okay. Just look for the birds, find the birds. Um, I won't touch on this too much, but, um, don't run the birds up, leave them alone. Find it, find you a spot in between them. You know, the birds are going to rest in an area. They're going to feed in an area and they're going to travel back and forth, just like Canada geese do in the fields. So there's no sense going out and pushing up 5,000 birds. Um, when all you got to do is set up somewhere in the middle of them out there and just pick them off as they start trading.
3: Right. So when you find a big raft of birds, um, do you generally, you know, set up downwind of them or between them and some some other place? Or you Generally want- speaking,
2: you're going to want to set up in between where they're flying to and from. If you find a big raft of birds and you watch it for 20 or 30 minutes, you're going to see birds coming to it and mm-hmm. birds going away from it get in the middle wherever they're at. Okay. Just like hunting Canada geese in a cornfield. You know, if you if you live in a town that's got a decent resident amount of geese, you know where they roost, you know where they feed. Where do you want to go? You want to go in the middle somewhere.
3: Right, right.
2: So it's the same thing here. If you can't get on, if you can't hunt them where they feed, you're going to hunt them in a field in the middle and try to pull them that way. And with hunting diver ducks, it's the same thing. Most of the time we're going to, We're going to track them down, and we're going to know their flight paths, and that's where we're going to try to set up.
3: Okay. And what are your considerations for, you know, decoy deployment? Um, You know, size, um, you know, orientation, formation? I'm I'm not sure. Well, with with diver ducks, it's about numbers. It's a numbers game.
2: Um, So generally speaking, you can... You can use pretty much any any size decoy you want to use. We like to use a magnum size, you know, 15-inch body or something like that. Um, and then we like to use lots of them. Generally speaking, eight dozen plus.
3: Okay. Now, you know, I don't know much about long lines and whatnot, but that looks like a complicated task in itself, not crossing over things. I know you have to use bigger, thicker lines. Um you know, what are some no-no's when it comes to long lines? Uh, thin line. You need to use a
2: nice, thick, heavy line that's not going to tangle. Okay. And, and then setting them is really easy. You know, that's just, you know, so you just drop it out the back of the tender boat. The tender boat drives and somebody feeds them right out the boat and then drops the anchor and then you just go back and do it again.
3: <laughs> and then picking up, I'm assuming this is in picking reverse. Picking them up.
2: Right, you just grab an anchor, grab a decoy, long line, and pull it in the boat, and just start pulling them in. How, Not difficult. Actually, pretty quick.
3: Yeah, I mean, it. I mean, it sounds like it has it. It has the potential to be a real pain in the butt, but if you're if you've got your tactics down and you've got yeah. yeah, you're
2: using a good heavy cord, they won't get
3: tangled. You can
2: a lot of guys are running them right straight into big leaf bags or. They'll pull the long lines in, leave them all attached, and put them into slotted bags. So, I mean, it's it's pretty easy in, pretty easy out.
3: Okay. Now, when it comes to motion, do you have to worry as much about motion as, you know, puddle duck hunters do or not? Are you talking about, like, a
2: motorized decoy, like a mojo or something? Yeah, I guess
3: uh, mojos, flags, uh, that sort of thing.
2: Not so much. I mean, you can use them to get attention, but... It's not real necessary. Okay. If you're out there where the duck where the divers are at, you don't need the
3: extra pull because if you've got
2: your number of decoys out, you're going to get your share of them to pull in.
3: Yeah, and then obviously the concealment portion um, comes from your boat. <laughs>
2: yep that that's a pet peeve of mine, and I see it all the time. And um, the one thing that that I that I will say is. If you're laying in a layout boat, you need to be laying down in the layout boat. If you look at the internet, and you look at pictures of guys in layout boats. All the guys that you can see, their heads and shoulders are doing it wrong. They need to be down in the boat. If you want to hide, you want to be in. A, you're already out there, in and you in a layout boat because you want to be in a low-profile boat and you want to hide. And if you're going to sit up in it, you've defeated the purpose of being a profile boat.
3: This probably irritates the boat maker. <laughs>
2: Yes, that's a big pet peeve of mine. We we put headrests in our boats, and we put them in a particular place for a particular reason because that's where <laughs> your head. Be.
3: That's funny. My tail boat didn't work. Uh, it wasn't low enough. Well, well and, up the whole you're, time.
2: In a lot of calls, you know, we'll get a call, man. Um, we're having we're struggling really bad. We can't get the birds to come in. You, said, you got any pictures? I'll ask you. Got any pictures of the spread with guys in it, so I can take a look, see what's going on. Nine out of ten of those pictures that I get will have a guy sitting up in the layout boat.
3: <laughs> Just like poking
2: your head out of the blind. Just like sitting in a cornfield and opening your doors and sitting up. Yeah. Same thing. You've yeah. completely defeated the purpose of the concealment that you're using. Now So lay down in the boat. Stay down. I know it's gonna be hard to see. It's no different than laying in a field blind with the doors closed and the, the mesh is closed across your face and you can't see out of those either. Right. You'll know
3: when they're there. Believe me, you'll know when they're close enough to shoot. Right. And so. speaking of that, too, um, some considerations, I don't know if it is or not, but, you know, you're sitting down in the boat and then, you know, the birds are coming and now it's time to shoot. Um, are there any no-nos when it comes to um, shooting out of a layout boat?
2: Not really. Uh, if you're in a one-man boat by yourself, there's really nothing to be worried about other than making sure you know what you're shooting at. I mean, you, if, if you shoot something you're not supposed to, well, that's a no-no, but that's on you for not being able to ID it. Generally speaking, shooting out of a layout boat, they should be close enough that you should be able to tell what you're shooting, and that's pretty much the only time you got to worry about it.
3: So what you're telling me is it's not like shooting out of a canoe. <laughs> not at all. No.
2: The stability is super stable. You can stand up and do jumping jacks in them if you wish. I mean, the stability of the boat's going to be fine. Now, if you're in a two-man boat, now you have to be concerned a little bit if you have two right-handed shooters because you got to make sure that the shooter on the right side isn't swinging in front of the guy on the left side, you know, and shoving his barrel in his face and all that kind of good stuff. But... But that's uh, that's only in a two-man situation.
3: Got it, got it. Um, so now you, well, actually, I wanted to touch a little bit on calling diver ducks.
2: Not necessary.
3: <laughs> not necessary.
2: Perfect. Some people buy it. I've never called a diver duck in my life, and I've shot plenty.
3: <laughs> well, okay, good to know. So I don't need to buy a <laughs> diver duck call. Sounds like not necessary. Oh man. Well, perfect. Um, so you out, you have the UFO. Um, yep. And then, I can't remember, what, what did you call the other one that you had?
2: Uh, we have the K-Lash boats. We build a K-Lash one man, a K-Lash two man. We also manufacture a UFO towable, which is a boat that's designed to tow behind the smaller tenders. Uh, okay. We also have the Erie, which is the old original Busick. Um And then we have our new two-man abductor that we just started building last, um, October. So abductor,
3: have... like, like from a UFO. Yeah. Oh, oh, there you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we have several models to choose
3: from. Okay. So how does, how does one go about selecting the right layout boat for them? Every
2: layout boat that's manufactured
3: to be resold
2: should have a capacity label inside. It's going to be a little yellow and white square label. I'm sure you've seen them in, in your other boats. They all have them. That's the law. They have to have them. That label will tell you how much weight that boat will hold. That is the number one thing you have to look at when you're purchasing a boat. Okay. You have to make sure that you fall within that rating. For example... Um, let's say I weigh 275 pounds and I'm looking for a layout boat. Um, and I go onto our website and I see that the Erie's rated for 242 pounds. Um, I see that the Kalash One Man's rated for 240 pounds. And then I see that the UFO's rated for 450 pounds. Right away, I should know immediately that the first two are not built for me. Sure. So that's going to X them off of that list.
3: Have now, you ever had to, um, someone come is, comes in to pick up the boat. Have you ever had to tell them, um, this boat's not going to work for you? I tell
2: people that all the time.
3: It's crazy it's that they get that probably, far into it.
2: Well, and, and it is, they, I usually don't let them get that far. Okay. Generally, somebody calls me and asks me what, which boat they should purchase from us. The first question I ask them is how big they are and how much do they weigh. Then from there I can guide them into the right boat. Um, we do have guys that uh, like to have the lowest profile boat that they can. So they're if if they're close they'll they'll go for the smaller boat as long as they still fit within because you know those labels have two numbers on them. They have a person capacity and then they have a maximum capacity. Um, with layout hunting and what we're doing with the boats, generally speaking, the first number isn't as important because we're not putting much extra weight in the boat besides us. You know, we got an eight-pound gun, a couple pounds box of shells, and whatever clothes we're wearing. So, you know, we might add 25 pounds to the person weight, but it's not near as much as is in bigger boats, you know, where you're carrying 10 dozen decoys and all this other stuff that you have to worry about that extra weight. So generally speaking on a layout boat, you have the person rating and then you have the maximum capacity rating. Um, The maximum capacity rating is the maximum allowed weight in that boat period. And that includes your gun, your shells, your clothing and everything else. So that's really the number we want to look at because in, in layout hunting, like I said, we're not going to add that much extra weight to the boat. It's most of it's going to be person weight. Okay. So
3: the pretty much it's just a function yeah. function of weight.
2: Yeah, it's all about weight. Now, okay. it can also become a matter of foot room. Foot room has become a really really big issue um, because some guys have giant feet. You know, they might only weigh 150 pounds, but they might have a size 14 shoe. Um, so now we've got to worry about getting them guys in there too, you know, cause these boxes are pretty narrow down there. Um, hmm. so now you add that factor in there and those are the two factors we worry about weight and the size of your feet. Um, generally speaking, your feet are going to coincide with your body weight, but every now and then you'll run into that, that one guy who's got a size 14 waiter and, He's got to find a boat that he can get his feet into that's reasonably comfortably. Now, it's not going to be super comfortable, but reasonably. Sure. And then we'll push them up to the bigger boats because naturally the bigger boats are going to have more room in them.
3: I, I was not expecting you to tell me foot size would be something that was a consideration. Oh, yeah. Huh.
2: Yep. Well, when you you got to realize, um, picture the Erie layout boat at having about seven inches of footroom clearance. Okay. Meaning if you lay down on a couch and you held your feet straight up, uh, seven inches is from the bottom to the top of the inside of that boat. Oh, wow. Most kids that are eight or ten years old's feet are taller than seven inches. Right. Um, Now, you take that same um, measurement on the ufo and you're looking at 13 inches Hmm. so now you see how this is changing yeah right so buying a layout boat is just like buying clothes or anything else you got to buy one that fits you
3: that's that's crazy i yeah i it makes absolute sense and i'm really glad that we covered it (laughs) <laughs> it's, a, it's an extremely
2: important part of buying one because you'd be surprised how many people don't think anything about that little yellow label.
3: You know, you're looking. yeah, you would ask For me and you'd say, Oh, you know, how much do you weigh Ben? And I'd tell you, and then you'd say, now how big are your feet? And I'd be like, is this guy crazy? Like, what, why right. is he asking me that?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yep.
3: So, okay. Um, you know, what, what else is inside of these boats, or is it nothing?
2: Pretty much nothing but flotation foam. Okay. They're pretty, our boats are all designed to be hollow. Um, every, they're all built using fiberglass materials and composite materials. There's absolutely zero wood in them. There's absolutely zero products that will rot. Everything will last forever as long as you take care of it.
3: Okay. Um, and there's, you know, what do you guys do to like stay warm down in there? Cause I imagine, you know, you got that real cold water underneath of you and, um, They're really not bad. Most people wear waders in them. Okay.
2: And that's not a bad thing because whether people realize it or not, if you've got a good set of neoprene waders and a wader belt on, that's going to float you if you go overboard. Right. Right. So, so some guys, you know, you'll, you, you get around, a group of old timers and it's like, you ain't wearing waders in that thing, are you? It's like, well, yeah, we are because these waders will float you unlike them old rubber things that you, you got.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the one, I, I can't remember which, um, department, which wildlife agency, you know, they hopped in to the pool yeah. with, and they were showing that, Hey, yeah, you don't, waders don't, you know, kill nope. you. They actually help you out.
2: You betcha. That's a fact. So. Wear your neoprene waders. Got to be neoprene, neoprene, no, not rubber.
3: Yeah. What about the breathables? I, I don't know. I
2: haven't never tested those. You so know, I, you know, yeah. as
3: for as many times as I've fallen in with my breathables, I've never like had the situation where I had to float. They've gone over right. the top quite a bit, but
2: uh, right. So I mean, I can't say. I mean, I know neoprene will float you as long as you have a belt on to keep the water out. Yep. Uh, and the breathables. See, I don't know because I don't know if they'll hold the air in mm. inside the waders. I, 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 don't know that answer, so I, I can't know.
3: Yeah, I feel like they do a pretty good job of that, but right. Oh yeah. Well, Tony, this was a this was a great talk, and I, I really just have uh, a couple more questions for you uh, before I let you get on to enjoy your evening. Um, what was the What was the first uh, duck or waterfowl you ever
2: you ever killed? A Drake Wood Duck, Thanksgiving Day, nineteen seventy nine.
3: Well, I don't know if that's specific enough. We might have to ask you again. Now,
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll never forget that one. It was quite a sight seeing a duck, a wood duck, come down the river that was half frozen on Thanksgiving Day. That's usually that's that's pretty daggone late for Ohio to shoot a wood duck.
3: I'll have to take your word on that. I have to come up and check that out. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, you only get to hunt one more time uh, in, in your life, where are you going? Who's it with? How are you, you know, how are you hunting? What's the weather like? Um, and what are you shooting? If I'm only going
2: to hunt one more time, I would have to say it would have to be to Alaska. Doesn't matter who with, as long as, as long as we got a layout boat so we can shoot some King Eiders out of one.
3: That was what I was going to ask if you were going for King Eiders. So
2: <laughs> King Eiders and, Harlequins, yep, a couple birds that that's about, there's only a few that we haven't had the opportunity to hunt, and those are a couple of, the, of those. So that would have to be it if I only had one more day to hunt.
3: Awesome, awesome. Well, um, is there anything else that you'd like the listeners to know or to, to leave them with before we, we head on out of here? I think we
2: pretty much covered everything. Um, if they've got any questions or need any help, Check us out, give us a message on Facebook, check out the website, waterfowlworks.com, or even give us a call on the phone. We're here to help.
3: Awesome, awesome. This was an extremely enlightening uh, you know, episode for me, and I'm really, really glad um, that, actually, um, one of my listeners, Mike Rule, uh, he sent me, he pretty much did this show. He wrote all the questions. Um, oh, really? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I, maybe I, uh, maybe I wrote a couple questions, but no, uh, Mike rule. He really went, he was just, he is passionate about this stuff. And, uh, he contacted me about two months ago, um, to get this going underway and, uh, you know, did a ton of research and it's just, it's just tickled me pink to, um, you know, be able to do this kind of episode where I don't know anything about it. And, uh, Mike is like, Hey, here's some of the questions that I have. Here's some of the questions I think that would be great for the listeners to know. And as I'm reading through it, I'm like, yeah, that's, those are great questions that, you know, that's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I know
2: Mike on Facebook. I believe he has one of our UFOs as well.
3: That is um, what he was saying.
2: And I've been, been telling him he's going to have, cause he's not too far away and we do a lot of, a lot of our hunting in Canada in Mitchell's Bay chasing the canvas and redheads. So I, I've been teasing him, telling him we're going to have to hook up down there and see if we can't put some on the boat.
3: Well, absolutely. I'm sure that he, that's something that he would definitely enjoy. And I know that he's probably been just biting at the bit, waiting for this episode to come out. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's perfect. And, and I, you know, I think that I'm in this next couple of years, I'm going to have to give this whole thing a shot. And, uh, oh, that was, you know what? That was the one question that I forgot to ask. And I'm, it's my wife's question. I'm sure. Do you wear a uh, life vest out on these things?
2: I, we do not wear them
3: once you're in
2: the boat. It's strongly encouraged to wear them during the transfer. Okay. Once you're in the layout boat, you can take it off. You can stick it there beside you because, like I said, you're not going out of that boat. It, it it's not going to flip on you. You're pretty pretty much safer inside that boat than you are the tender boat. So. <laughs> Um, but when you're transferring guys, put it on because that may save your life in, the, in a bad situation.
3: All right, Tony, I, 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 greatly appreciate it. And I've enjoyed this last hour that we've been talking and, uh, we will, you're, you're in on our, on our podcast group. Um, and ah. so if people have any questions, they can, uh, link up with you there. And, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, linking up with you in the future and, uh, talking some more. Sounds good. All right, Tony, you have a good night. Thanks. Yep, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. All right, and as we do every week uh, at this time of the show, we're going to go ahead and talk a little bit about our partners. Um, These are great people, and, you know, don't fast-forward through this. This is um, important, and this is where we're going to have a lot of, um, you know, good updates for you (laughs) um, that, you know, might be beneficial to yourself. So I want to give a big shout-out to Hunt Hickory Creek. Uh, hunt Hickory Creek. Uh, they just opened up their Central Kansas Lodge for waterfowl this year, and uh, Chase, their head waterfowl guy, get in here on the group, and you can you know vet him. If you're going to spend all this money um, to you know get on a guided hunt, you might as well um, be able to pre-vet and get to know your guide before um, you pull the trigger on something. And you get in there into the the waterfowl podcast group, you can meet Chase and then his guides, uh, Scotty um uh, and cody and then uh even his fiance megan who she does a lot of the photo work and a lot of stuff around behind the scenes and uh out there so uh these are great people and you're gonna really uh, be able to <laughs> once you meet them you're you're in the group you're gonna be you're gonna be sold so go ahead and uh, check out hunt hickory creek uh, and book a hunt with them today so We've also got Dive Bomb Industries, and Dive Bomb Industries has a Foulfront uh, 10% discount code, and if you haven't used that yet, I would use it before the end of this month. Um, just saying. These guys are getting us into you know affordable, big-numbered spreads that are extremely realistic and get the job done. Not to mention they don't take up any space in your garage or the truck, and you don't have to have a big old trailer to haul them around. You know, it's it makes sense for the budget hunter that is, you know, doesn't have all the time or money for all the, you know, a big old sixteen foot enclosed trailer to haul around a bunch of full bodied three D Canada goose decoys, or and they are even coming out with pintails and the whole nine yards, the whole gamut. So go check them out over at diebombindustries.com and their Facebook and Instagram. Uh, next, we've got the DuckTech Mobile app, and the DuckTech Mobile app is uh, it's pretty sweet. You can get in there, and you know you can learn from Barney Kalif, who's a three-time world duck champion, uh, world duck calling champion, um, and he tells you, you know, what this specific call means, what this means, what that means, and then how to do it, and then you can actually record yourself and play it against uh, him, so that you can kind of see where you're falling short or um, you know what you need to improve upon. <clears throat> so go check out the Duck Tech mobile app and uh, get yourself, you know, sound and right for this upcoming uh, duck season. Next we've got gypsum creek retrievers. And I just went and uh, did a hunt with Evan uh, this morning. And I tell you what, uh, that's a good dude. Um, and in a couple years, he's going to be the premier um, kennel, I think, here in in Kansas. And if you really, you know, want to know that you're, dog or um, if you want to get a good dog here in in the future and that it's coming from a a very respectful um, and from somebody that absolutely loves your dog probably just as much as you do you need to check out gypsum creek retrievers Um, and not to mention the the dog work that he's doing with these things i got to um, spend a morning with his flagship dog and and uh, he was just lights out. It was awesome, uh, you know, making a hundred yard blind retrieve through the weeds, you know, on a crippled bird. It, it was, it was good. To, it was good to see. So, so go ahead and check them out. They've got a pretty cool. Uh, they got a lot of content coming out actually, and and go. So go check them out on G- Gypsum Creek Retrievers uh, on Facebook. All right. Uh, next, we've got Toe Tags LLC. Now, Toe Tags LLC exists to keep you legal. And honestly, um, y'all, everybody that I've hunted with this season so far, they've been, you know, pretty amazed at how you know quick and easy it is to just fill out this tag, and just for a couple cents and you know, thirty seconds, you can you can be within the letter of the law, and you can feel ten times better about walking out of that field um, with a full tote of ducks or geese, and uh, knowing that. Uh, ain't ain't nobody can touch you when it comes to uh any possession laws or um you know field possession or or transportation tagging laws so go check them out out at uh, tow tags llc you already bought all the boats the ammo the guns the decoys why are you going to go ahead and uh, try to get a ticket uh, um for not using something that costs maybe 20 cents a hunt so go check them out tow tags llc uh, next, we've got duck nuts. Now that's D U K N U T Z, and uh, duck nuts is sweet. My wife is looking at me right now; she's shaking her head. Still, she she thinks it's the funny funniest thing ever. But um, so I didn't realize how cool these things were until I went to go pick up about five or four dozen of them um, out of the out of the marsh. And All you do is you you grab plastic out of the you know to out of your bag. You grab plastic. Chuck it, you know, um, stretch it, and the the weight falls down to wherever you want it. Super easy, and then you just drop it, and it's good to go. And then the same thing for pickup; it's even easier, and all just goes back in. The big money maker on these things is you can just toss them in a bag together because the weight is right up next there to the uh, to the decoy. N- nothing's getting tangled, so it's it's nice. Um, we've also got uh, freelance hunt stats, um, freelancehuntstats.com is a pretty cool journal website and it's not just a journal website most journal websites you know you put in oh, i killed six blue wing teal on, on this day um and it was you know like whatever i was with bobby joe or whatever and um but no this thing has you can fill it out and then you can like filter the data and you can see how you did on sunny days how you did on windy days how you did you know uh on cold days this that and the other and it makes all of your hunt logs comprehensive, which is really nice and, um, I mean, can make you a better hunter. And that's uh, my good buddy over at uh, Freelance Duck Hunting, um, Elliot. That's his site. So go on and uh, check out FreelanceHuntStats.com. All right, next we've got Athlon Optics. And Athlon Optics, um, I'm telling you, these things um, – are worth easily two to three times what you're paying for them. Um, Everybody that has looked through um, my binoculars that I got from them, they have been like, wow, how much do these cost? And they're like, that's, you know, that's comparable to some glass that's two or three times that. And not to mention the, the biggest draw, like the biggest thing about it is, is they stand behind every product that they sell and They have a lifetime guarantee, which is huge for a waterfowl hunter um, because we are tough and rough on our gear. So go on uh, over to AthlonOptics.com and uh, order yourself uh, a pair of these uh, binoculars. I got the the Midas um, 10x42, and they work great. Um, And we already gave away one pair, and not saying, just saying, there might be another pair being given away um, in the next week or so. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and last but not least, we have SRB field Rest. And SRB field rests, uh, pretty pretty cool stuff there. Um, just like with toe tags, um, why are you gonna go out into the to the field and set your expensive shotgun down in the mud? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Um, he has all sorts of rests for your gun in in the field, so you know um, he's basically solved the problem of setting your gun down in. Um, muddy fields marshes everything of of that nature so so go ahead uh, check out srbfieldrest.com or um, check him out on facebook and uh, go ahead and keep your gun out of the dirt today all right that's all we have um, today folks and uh, we will you know get back into the to the uh, meat of this and we will see you uh, next week Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Fowl Front Waterfowl Podcast. Please come join us on our Facebook group, the Foul Front Waterfowl Podcast group, where you can connect with a good group of hunters because we're all in this together. We need to act like it so that hopefully our great, great grandkids will be hunting ducks over our favorite public lands. Uh, we also ask that you go ahead and give us a written review on iTunes and give us five stars if you think we deserve it. And we really do want to hear back from you uh, so that we can give you the best possible content. And if you get in on that Facebook group, you can get in there and you can ask questions and you can tell us what you want to hear next. Or you can tell us uh, what you don't like and we'll be sure to tailor things to our listeners. So, all right, stay safe out there and we will see you next week. Hey, you ever been sitting in front of your TV just wondering why you can't catch the latest episode of The Foul Front right there in your living room so you can impress all your guests and family with your fine taste and podcast listening? Me neither. But hey, as a part of the Waypoint Outdoor Collective, you can now find The Foul Front and some other great podcasts on your Apple TV, your Roku, your Amazon Fire Stick, Smart TV, even your gaming console just by downloading the Waypoint app. And heck, while you're there, they got over 2,500 hunting and fishing shows on demand. Go download the Waypoint app today.
1: Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6'8 Western. I'll be over there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.